could you see it being available as a printed newspaper for what another 20 20 years it's hard to, it really is hard to say Sean you know I mean I, I, I would say definitely 10 years and after that we need to see things are moving so so fast in this world I mean I was at a presentation yesterday about artificial intelligence and, and what it might mean for journalism it's, 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 it's absolutely breathtaking Hello again. In this episode of Insights, the Sunday Independent editor Alan English talks about the challenges he faced taking up his new position in the middle of a global pandemic. Also, the changes he wanted to make and is making to the paper, his days heading up the Limerick leader, and his passion for sport, in particular, as you might expect, Limerick hurling. Alan English, thank you so much for joining us on the Insights Podcast. We'll talk later about your earlier career, Limerick, uh, Plymouth, London, Limerick again. But you've been editor of the Sunday Independent, I think, for about three years at this stage. A tough assignment, I suppose, in normal times, but things were far from normal when you took it on. Yeah, that's right, Sean. It was announced that I was uh, uh, getting the job in January of 2020. I had to serve out some notice in my previous job. And so by the time I started, it was the back end of March um, and the office had closed, I think, 10 days before I started. So uh, I I, uh, I didn't leave Limerick until the end of July. Um, I didn't meet anybody. I, Microsoft Teams is now everywhere. But it was at that stage, it was it was uh, it was barely just uh, just being introduced. And um, so, yeah, that was that was my introduction. I found it fine, actually. People have said to me, God, it must have been really difficult, you know, not being able to meet people face to face. Um, but look, you know, I think you can have a good rapport with somebody. Um, it does help if it's over video, definitely. Um, and I like one-on-one -on -one situations. You know, I had been, before I started um, and before COVID, I had been sort of fretting a little bit about the first morning and, you know, would everybody be standing around expecting me to see, make, make some profoundly uh, impressive statement about what I was going to do with the paper. Of course, I was spared all of that, you know. Were you a man with a plan, though, from the off? I was a man with a plan, I suppose, in that I felt I had a mandate for change and I don't think I would have gotten the job if, if they hadn't wanted to, to change it. I mean, I, I, I've had a series of lucky breaks. I think anybody who's been around for a long time, um, you know, a lot a lot of uh, your progress is, is down to, you know, being in the right place at the right time, getting a, getting a break here and there. And um, the fact that um, what was independent news and media, uh, which is now Media House Ireland, had been bought by um, you know the international the, the European based media house group um, definitely worked for me. I don't think I would have gotten the job had they not bought it. Um, there was a sort of tradition there of you know appointing from within. It's very difficult if you're on the outside. I don't think my profile would have would have would have helped me. I, I would have been seen as you know Limerick leader editor. Maybe it's too big of a step up. So somebody coming in, um, you know not knowing that the media landscape in Ireland just sort of judged me um, on, on what they saw. and uh, I, I So what did Media House and what did you want to change? What was the plan? Well, I, I, I felt that um, the Sunday Independent um, had been, uh, you know, an exceptionally successful newspaper for a very long time. And um, <clears throat> partly because of that, maybe there was a reluctance to change commercially what was a, a very, you know, successful formula. Um, my my thoughts on it was that nothing can stay successful um, forever without 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 change, um, and you know I I had you know every editor will bring their own um, 
biases and prejudices and 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 views um, to to the table. Um, I would have had certain thoughts on on the paper as it stood, and there would have been aspects to it that 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 I liked and aspects that I didn't particularly care for. And I didn't really want to sort of feel that you know just because it had been going on forever that I was <clears throat> obligated to uh, introduce it. And it was partly helped by. COVID really, I mean, one of the things that I would have felt had passed its sell-by date was, you know, the paper's focus on having a like, like a gossip column, a social column, right? So, you know, that that had been started by Terry Keane, who back in the glory days uh, had been, um, you know, signed by the Sunday Times, all drama back in the 90s. Barry Egan had taken it over. You know, Barry at that stage was, I think he turned 50. He was a family man, didn't particularly like doing it. I didn't particularly feel it added a lot. But you you worry about taking it out. Oh, you know, is it going to cost you thousands of readers? But as it happened, um, you know, nobody was going out. There was no socialization uh, during COVID. So it just came to a natural stop and, and we decided not to bring it back. There was a Christmas party that I didn't particularly care for. It was getting like 10 pages of coverage, sort of various celebs and so-called celebs uh, being photographed in, in the magazine and wasn't really my thing so I, I kind of felt oh, well, well we'll we'll scrap that as well you know but I suppose most of all what the Sunday Independent would have been noted for going back in recent decades was strong columnists strong opinions a bit of campaigning not afraid to if you like go against the grain yeah absolutely yeah <clears throat> I mean it's it's uh it's been um you know for 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 a very long time you know it, it's been notable for a range of, of 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 different views different perspectives and you know i i think we've re- maintained that and you know a new thing that's come around now uh you know in, in the last number of years is 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 the culture wars and uh you know difficulties around dealing with uh, delicate matters like the transgender argument and the transgender issue and we have grasped the nettle on that um and you know we have columnists who are who are prepared to get off the fence and 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 write what they feel about it. Um, so look, one of the things that the paper has always been synonymous with is is, is hard hitting columnists, and uh, I'd like to think that's still the case. On the question of strong opinions, again, long long before your time, the Sunday Independent took a very strong, strongly critical line uh, against John Hume, for instance, leader of the SDLP, when he began a dialogue and began an engagement with, with, with Jerry Adams. A lot of people were very unhappy at the time with that, uh, to the point where they would appeal maybe to the then owner, Tony O'Reilly, to rein it in. He said he wasn't going to do that. <clears throat> um, but it was something that I think you had a, t- a chance to reflect on, you know, after John Hume died. That's right, yeah, yeah. John Hume died in, in the summer of, of, of 2020, so I was probably maybe three three or four months into into the job at that stage. And, um, yeah, it was an opportunity to, to, to look back on it. I mean, I, I, I had been reading the paper at that stage. I was I was a relatively young journalist. Uh, I was, you know, it was, it was certainly uh, quite remarkable, the the, um, the level of commentary. Um, started off, kick-started by a piece on the back page by Eamon Dunphy. Um, so look, I, I, I felt that if, I, if we were going to do something about it, I needed to I needed to be fully au fait with what exactly was said. So um, I think John Hume died relatively early in the week. So I was able to, um, I, I basically did nothing for two days. Uh, I remember being in a flat in Dublin on my own. Uh, my family hadn't moved up at that stage. So I, I spent two days and nights reading every word that had been published about John Hume in the year 1993 into the uh, into the winter of, of 1994 
Um, and I came to the conclusion that, you know, while the paper was fully entitled to, to, to have a robust opinion uh, on, 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 on what John Hume's, uh, you know, dialogue with, uh, with Jerry Adams uh, amounted to and whether it was reasonable or not, I felt that there was a moment at which the SDLP asked for a right of reply and, and uh, it, was, it was declined. So that, that was where I would have parted company with how the, uh, how, how the paper treated it. Um, and I felt that ultimately John Hume was on the right side of history. So we did a we did a big paper. We did seven broadsheet pages on the death of John Hume, and we had we had um, you know people uh, who were around in in 1993 on the paper defending it. Um, we had people who 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 were who were appalled by the coverage, writing about it. And I wrote a piece myself in which I I felt that um, I felt that uh, it wasn't it wasn't for me to apologise. But you know, I, I I I felt I felt John Hume was owed um, something from the Sunday Independent, and um, you know, so I, I wrote a piece on that. Yeah. We are. It's hard to know exactly when the next election will play will take place. The next general election in this jurisdiction, uh, but at the outside, it's probably or at the outside, it's give or take two years. Um, I mean, have you turned your mind to how you're going to approach that? Uh, what kind of line the paper will or, or might take? Uh, well, if you're if you're if you're asking me, are, are we going to be sort of editorialising and, and 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 picking picking a party? That's that wouldn't be my intention. Um, I, I think it's uh, one of the first things I did was I re- I did reach out to Mary Lou Macdonald um, uh, after after getting the job and said, look, um, you know, I don't think there's ever been an interview with a Sinn Féin leader in the Sunday Independent, and I think it's time we we uh, we did something about that. So I, I I spoke to her, quite a quite a good conversation. Um, I said it would be a robust interview, um, and it was. I would say Hugh O'Connell did it, political correspondent. Um, I don't think uh, Sinn Féin supporters were too happy with the interview. If if my Twitter mentions the following morning were to go by, I got a torrent of abuse. Um, but I was also struck by a comment that uh, Mary Lou Macdonald put out on Twitter herself that day. She said, um, look, everyone, i.e. people who are tweeting in support of her, um, now they're talking to us rather than at us. You know, And I thought that was a good comment on her part, you know, so... So yeah, look, no. Her her, her supporters, um, and I say this by way of an aside, they mightn't be too enamoured of some of the stuff that Shane Ross has written about her, uh, both in the paper where he's a columnist and also in his book, which um, Declaration of Interest I, I launched for him. Yeah, uh, last, that's last, right. That's last right. winter. Yeah, yeah look, uh, I don't think it went down too well. Uh, we we did extracts from, from the book in the paper, but I think look, I think most most well, a lot of independent-minded people would say that we 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 knew. Um, very little about Mary Lou Macdonald and you know as somebody who's probably Bucky's favourite to be the next Taoiseach it's absolutely I mean her, her line was it was premature to do a book I, I absolutely disagree with that I think we're fully entitled to know who she is where she came from you know why did she jump from Fianna Fáil into, into Sinn Féin you know it, it, at first glance it, she doesn't look like a natural um, you know Sinn Féin leader Right um so aside from maybe moving away from the idea of backing or opposing or directing a particular line uh, of thinking where politics is concerned, um, what wh- what other changes have you brought about? I mean, you mentioned getting away from the kind of socialite columns and that kind of thing. Yeah, well, look, um, I suppose, um, you know, a lot of newspaper type things that, you know, that, that might not be, um, you know, 
Well, one of the things I did was 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 fully redesign the paper, right? Um, put a much bigger emphasis on quality use of photography. There's some fantastic staff photographers in the company, and um, I, 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 I think we've given them a better canvas for their work, um, made the paper look more modern, I think increased the, the cultural content in it, brought in a new section called People and Culture, you know, did things like double the amount of space given over to book reviews, um, brought in quite a, a number of new columnists, um, <clears throat> brought in, um, strengthened the, the news reporting team, probably doubled the numbers of it. Um, so you know, there has been a lot of, uh, a lot of change, really. Yeah, because it's only in the last uh, recent few weeks that uh, the the managing director of your company, uh, Peter van der Marsch, has been talking about looking to get uh, voluntary redundancies. Is is the Sunday Independent yeah. exempted from that? Uh, I don't. I don't think anybody is exempted. Um, um, but I think it's also the case that um, you know what Peter has said that he he expects. Um, print uh, during the week uh, to, to go within um, a certain time frame. He, he mentioned potentially 2026, um, but, you know, he said it could be before that or it could be after that. Um, I think we're, you know, it's still a guessing game there, but it's based on, it's based on examination of the circulation figures which apply across the board, not just in Ireland, across Western Europe. You know, rather than Rather than not get out ahead of that scenario, um, it, 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 you know we're having to sort of look at how to, how to prepare for it. Now he has also said that he do, does expect um, print to survive at the weekend, um, and so I, I would I would fully expect the Sunday Independent to be around for you know you know at least ten years more. I would say. What, what's the circulation of it now? The hard copies that are bought. Hard copies. Well, the, the, it's no longer in the ABC figures, you know. But it's look, it's it's well into six figures. It's 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 not what it was. Um, we had a we had a period where I, I looked in COVID. We we the circulation manager was sort of shaking his head, going like, "This doesn't happen," you know. We sort of put the uh, the, the the decades long um, circulation decline into reverse um, because what happened was. People weren't going out during the week. If you if you cast your mind back, Sean, to, to COVID, mm -hmm. people were tending to make you know maybe one trip to do their shopping. So we saw the sales of the Sunday Independent, not just the Sunday Independent. I think the entire Sunday market uh, um, really shot up. You know, um, so we were thinking, God, have we have we have we found the, the winning formula here? But sure enough, once once life got back to what you'd call normal these days, um, you know, we we sort of we started to see the decline again. Um, but look, it's still by far and away the biggest selling newspaper in the country. I'd say it sells at least 40,000 copies more than any other uh, newspaper in the market. Um, and I, if you were to tell me what will be the last newspaper left standing in Ireland, uh, I would confidently say the Sunday Independent. And could you see uh, it being available uh, as, a print, uh, as a printed uh, newspaper for, what, another 20, 20 years? Um, it's hard. To, it really is hard to say, Sean. You know, I mean, I, I, I would say definitely ten years, and after that, we need to see things are moving so so fast in this world. I mean, I was at a presentation yesterday about artificial intelligence and and what it might mean for journalism. It's 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 absolutely breathtaking. Um, what so, might look, what might it mean for journalism? Now well, that you've mentioned it. Well, look, you know, the 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 tone of the of the presentation was, you know, you know, we're not going to be having AI AIs uh, replacing journalists, but it, they will be sort of helping them, helping them. It, may, it, may, it might take you, you know, weeks to interrogate um, a freedom of information request, you know, a, a data drop of of like thousands of documents. 
um, uh, and you know, so it, it can be very helpful in a lot of ways. There's all, it's also helpful in things like, you know, writing SEO, search engine optimization. That means writing a headline that will be that will do well online, right? There's a certain knack to it, right? So, and they did a test there in in in, in Holland uh, recently, whereby the AI did you know, one in 80% of cases, you know, so, but it, 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 I don't think it's intended to sort of put journalists out of work. It's just intended to help make things more Just efficient. make information more readily accessible to the people. Yeah, and, and, and help us to do our job in different ways um, and maybe spend more time on, on the things that really matter, you know, the investigative side of things and less on the things that, that could be, like for for a long time, journalists doing interviews had to spend endless hours um, transcribing tapes. It's mind-numbingly boring. Um, um, and now we have technology that will do that for you, you know. So that that type of example. Yeah, and um, you, you also, I suppose, have the situation where increasingly, and certainly younger people, they're looking and they're approaching news in a completely different way to our generation and our, our parents' generation. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm old enough to remember the Irish press and the Sunday press of happy memory, uh, you know, being produced with hot metal. I mean, you know, people look at you as though you were Methuselah, if you mention that now. Um, but in in regard to how people, how the patterns of, of, you know, accessing news are changing, I mean, are there more people reading your paper online than are buying it? Yes, I would say. Well, whew. Probably, probably no, actually. No, not yet. Not yet. I mean, there are, in addition to the print copies there, I mean, I was looking at the figures there for the, the paper just uh, published on Sunday and there's been more than 15,000 downloads of the e-paper. So that is the paper as you as you see it. A lot of people find it more convenient to Yeah, download. you can turn the pages on you your can, iPad or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're using. And I, I find that myself. I, I love it, you know. I mean, mm. I, I tend to buy a lot of print papers at the weekend, but I tend to read the daily papers on, on my iPad, you know. So that's a, And I would count those as newspaper sales because these are subscribers who are paying money for the privilege of reading our journalism. But the biggest shift absolutely has been towards the, the mobile phone. I mean, it's quite staggering. Um, another presentation recently at, at the office um, sort of showed how a lot of journalists <clears throat> until quite recently were still very much in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the habit of looking at screens like the one I see in front of me here, a wide screen and looking at how the website is displayed on a big screen and maybe have two screens in front of them and, and, and not really sort of taking on board the fact that at least, it's, I think it's now something like 86, 87% of the audience are reading uh, your product, your news on their mobile phone. And they're not even seeing the homepage. It's quite a change and, and, and it goes very deep into what is going to survive. Um, I mean, you see, we see the, um, there's a limited amount of, you know, limited amount of stories that are going to be able to catch people's eye on a mobile phone. So, you know, if it's not on the homepage of the app and every, uh, you know, every media company has an app now, it tends not to, you know, you, you've got to fight to get it in front of the audience. So you put out push notifications, you boost it on Facebook, you give it a spot near the top. So when people are, they, they'll only scroll so far, you know, they won't, they won't endlessly mm -hmm. scroll. Well, some will, but most won't. Uh, their attention time is 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 a lot lower yeah. than it would be uh, when they're reading a newspaper. The other thing that's happened in recent uh, years and decades, maybe, is this increasing confluence of media. I mean, there was a very clear divergence, uh, you know, 
print, print media printed, uh, broadcast media broadcast, be it television or radio news. Whereas now, I mean, you know, you look at RTE, there are people blogging, they're doing written pieces, you know, whether it's uh, Sean Whelan or, or Will Goodbody or whatever. And just in, in the same way, um, you know, print um, print out, outlets are doing podcasting, they're doing uh, visual stuff as well. I mean, uh, they're using their mobile phones to capture sound bites at news conferences and so forth. So where do you see, I mean, you know, all of that blurring ending up? Yeah, well, nobody knows really. I mean, as I said, it's it is moving so fast, and you see you see focus groups of of, of uh, readers in their in their twenties, and um, <clears throat> I mean, you, you you know, you grew up uh, of, of you know opening up the the broadsheet newspaper, putting it on your kitchen table, seeing a seeing a columnist that you might enjoy reading, and, and saying, okay, I'm going to give ten minutes to reading this, or seeing a big magazine feature. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, I do worry about the future because the attention span of the modern reader is, is less. Um, and one of the things that, that we judge um, stories on these days is is the amount total reading time, you know. So it isn't just, you know, the, the, you know if somebody clicks into a story and, and they abandon it after eight seconds, well, that's not much use to anybody, is it? Um, mm-hmm. So what, what, you know, when we look at all the data and we get extraordinary data now, I mean, there's no hiding place from it. You know, you know exactly what has been read and what hasn't, um, and that's one of the things that you do worry about because things like book reviews, you know, you don't tend to find. You know, who's going to read a book review on a mobile phone? Very few people. You know, so you, I would worry about about the future of of, of sort of more niche stories. Yeah. Going going back to your boss, uh, who is not just a businessman. He's a he's a journalist, I think, by way of background. Yeah, yeah, Peter, he's, he's, he, he was editor um, of, of of the. He, you know, he in that this week interview, he was he seemed to be especially bleak about the prospects for regional papers, which I suppose takes us back to your own earlier mm. career. Um, and we'll talk about that now, if we may. Uh, you, you got the start in perhaps one of the strongest of them all, the Limerick Leader. I mean, was it always going to be journalism for you, Alan English? Uh, yes, Sean, it was, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I I kind of made my mind up from, from, I'd say, maybe the age of 10, 11, 12. Really? That I wanted to be a journalist. Um I did my leaving. I was a bit young. I was only 16 doing the leaving. I went up. There was only one course uh, for journalism um, at that stage uh, in Rat Mines. I went up and did the entrance uh, exam for that and, and didn't get in. Um, <clears throat> so I went to what's now UL, did a degree there and, and spent nearly all my time in the library reading books that would be related to, to journalism. I, I, I became editor there was literally nobody else interested in the job of, of the uh, of the the the, 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 the the university magazine, and you know, kind of took it on from there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've always been passionate about it. the Irish Independent um, <clears throat> and the Sunday Independent used to used to come through our our, our letterbox uh, when I was a child, and um, you know, something about you know, opening up those pages, and I I used to be passionate. I still am into sport. Um, so mostly the sports pages I would have been reading as a kid. Yeah, and then you 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 became, what, a junior reporter in the Limerick Leader? Junior reporter, yeah, yeah. I, I got um, I got a, a, a false uh, a false placement. Uh, I, I was getting £37.80 a week, I remember. <clears throat> and um, so that was for six months. 
And uh, look, yeah, I, I got offered a, a full-time job after that. Um, so I did three years there, and, but I really wanted to, to get to London. I, I had this sort of romanticised view about Fleet Street <clears throat> and I wanted to sort of prove to myself that I was good enough. You would enough. have been looking at movies like The Front Page, Hildy Yeah, Johnson I would have and, loved and, all those, Sean. Absolutely and, loved them. And, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. the other one, of course, that came out was... All the President's Men. Yes. Yeah, yeah. All, I mean, if you, like, it's an acid test, really, if you want to be a journalist and you're not profoundly inspired by all the president's men, you, you've got the wrong career. I remember you know? staying up all night to finish the book. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so you, you headed off. You, you wanted to go to London, but you had to take a kind of a circuitous route. Yeah, well, as I say, you're not going to uh, you're not going to impress uh, the uh, senior editors of Fleet Street by by saying you've 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 done three years as a reporter at the Limerick Leader, a paper they've never heard of. So I did a kind of a, I guess what you might call a mini um, self promotional tour. I wrote to about twenty uh, regional newspaper editors of, of good, strong, um, you know, daily newspapers around um, around England, Bristol, Nottingham, Cambridge. Uh, went and met them. In some cases, I did sort of trial shifts and things like that. And I was offered a job in Plymouth, a city I'd never been to. Uh, I didn't know anybody there, but look, you know, um, rocked up there and and, uh, and that went went quite well. Um, I found myself going w- within the space of a week. I, I went from being a sub-editor to the chief sports writer, which shows you, you know, things just happen if you're in the right place, you know, at, at something comes up. I mean, I, I was I mean, offered... Did, did that in, in, entail becoming uh, intimately involved with the sort of intricacies of Plymouth Argyle? It totally did. And it was a really interesting time to be to be doing that job because they had signed uh, Peter Shilton as the player manager, you know. So so I ended up... Uh, I ended up... Uh, uh, it, it wasn't going so well for Shilton. And uh, there was a guy called Dan McCauley who was the chairman. Right? And he phoned the office one night and um, he said he, ha- he had a story. Uh, but he didn't, you know, he wanted to give it on the down low. So I picked up the phone. He says, who are you? I said, oh, I'm the new uh, chief sports writer. I'll be writing about Plymouth. I've never heard of you. Are you Irish? And he was from Northern Ireland. Oh, you'll do so. So, uh, oh God, he was some character. He hated Shilton. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was, there was, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff going on. So he was a great source for me. I used to get loads of stories out of him. <clears throat> I remember writing an open letter to Peter Shilton. Oh, it was great. It was great. It only lasted, I, I, I was gone after, I, I left after 18 months, but I, I really, really enjoyed that. And that was, that was your ticket to London, was it? That was the ticket to London. Yeah, yeah. So I got, got into the Sunday Times then. I, I, I did 12 years in, 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 in the Sunday Times, all, all told. Doing what? Uh, initially in sport, uh, mostly in sport, um, but I also got in, involved at the, at the ground floor in the, in, the, in the start of the Irish edition, you know, which became, um, you know, remains extremely successful. Um, it, it, started, it was started by Alan Ruddock, the late Alan Ruddock, um, who, was, who was a great, uh, great friend and, uh, you know, w- so many of us admired him so much. He was, he was, he was just so charismatic and, 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 uh, and brilliant. So he, he, he was given a budget by Andrew Neil to start an Irish edition. And I, I think I was the first employee that he took on. And um, so, yeah, look, there were great times there. So were you, were you on the production side at that stage? I was, I was the sports editor. Uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot to edit, but we built it up. You know, we, 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 we moved it and then we started changing other sections. Like I, I hired a load of arts journalists, uh, freelancers, mm-hmm. for, and we, and we, 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 we additionalised the, the culture section. 
Um, so I wouldn't have known any of these people, but I was just making phone calls and they were all like, you were offering them 50 quid to write a column about opera or something and they were queuing up. So uh, it was great. It was, it was a bit of movement in the Irish newspaper market and it just went from strength to strength. And I suppose it was moving in on the Sunday Independent. The Sunday Independent would have been its, its, it, the paper it was going after, so it would have been taking some readers away from the Sunday Independent. So now I find myself in a situation where I'm, you know, doing battle with the Sunday Times. Yeah, but very helpfully from your point of view, but not necessarily in the wider interest of the readers or the journalists indeed. They've scaled back their, their Irish um, output, haven't they? They have, yes. They they, they had a, their own um, sort of, I, uh, I guess, redundancy scheme there recently. Um, and yeah, like I, th- I think they, they have, they have, they have scaled it back. And, and, you know, we've, 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 we've benefited from, you know, we've picked up uh, a couple of, of, a couple of very talented people, such as Mark Ty, um, who, who uh, I would say was their best reporter now on the, uh, now on the Sunday Independent. So you did the 12 years, the Sunday Times, and then, okay, there was a, a brief engagement, I think, with the independent newspapers, but yeah, the opportunity arose to become the editor, to come back to Limerick um, as the editor of the Limerick Leader. Now, I gather you had very few predecessors because they had served very long stints. That's right, yeah, yeah. I, I Again, I go back to, you know, luck, Sean, and, and being... Like, the, the, my predecessor, uh, Brendan Halligan, um, who I really enjoyed uh, working under, and I, I thought he was like, um, you know, he was a tremendous, uh, tremendous editor. Um, he'd been, he, he was there in that job for as editor for thirty six years, um, from nineteen seventy until two thousand and six. Um, but he wasn't even the longest serving Limerick leader editor. Con Cregan, I, I became, um, you know, really, really interested in the history of the paper. I was there for the 125th anniversary of the Limerick Leader, which was founded in 1889. So we did a 64-page supplement, which is probably one of the things I'm most proud of in my time there. And um, <clears throat> but I learned all about Con Cregan, who who uh, who be- was appointed editor in 1910 and relinqu- relinquished the post reluctantly. I understand in 1960. Wow! After 50 years in the chair, you know. <clears throat> Fifty years. Fifty years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was some some stint. Yeah, some stint. So how did you they, how did manage it? to get him out of there? Uh, well, I guess he was eighty at that stage, you know. <laughs> and did he own it? No, he didn't own it. No, no, he didn't own it. And and in fact, I found a load of minute books um, going back to uh, going back to you know the the twenties and the thirties. And uh, you know, I could see he was—he was—he often was often in dispute with the board, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what 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 a stint! I mean, when you think about it, he he took in like sort of the lockout, nineteen thirteen, the Easter Rising, nineteen sixteen, the the War of Independence, the Civil War, two world wars, two two world wars, <laughs> um, you know, the Korean War. Uh, he wasn't quite there uh, for John F. Kennedy's uh, visit to Limerick in sixty uh, three, but. Um, yeah, yeah, a few enough heads of government, I suppose, given the length of Emma uh, de Valera's stints. But, um, and then Halligan, Brendan Halligan, 36 years after that. 36 years. And I remember I had a great chat with uh, Brendan in the week before I started. I asked him, what was the highlight of your, of your time in those 36 years? And, and there was a lot, you know, there was a lot, a lot happened in that, in that period in Limerick and in, in the Limerick Leader. Um, he said unquestionably, uh, Limerick winning the All-Ireland in 1973. So I, I'm thinking... Wow, I mean, I, 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 I was a boy at the time. I, I remembered it. Um, Limerick hadn't won the All Ireland since 1973, so I'm thinking, 
wow, I, I would love to be editor of the Limerick Leader um, if they if they if they win in All Ireland. So it, I, I started in March two thousand and seven, um, and lo and behold, Limerick gets the All Ireland final in two thousand and seven. Uh, like so, like less than six months later. Truly, absolute kitchen sink at it. I mean, my God, there wasn't there wasn't a, a, a parish, there wasn't a village in Limerick that that didn't have a, a Limerick leader reporter out there or a photographer. We had I, you couldn't count the number of pages we had on it in the main section of the paper, a special supplement in the regular sports section. So I'm thinking, wow, beginners' luck. This is going to be uh, this is going to can't wait to do the front page when we when we lift the Liam McCarthy Cup. <laughs> of course, after about seven minutes, uh, uh, Kilkenny are about ten points ahead of us, you know. So that was that was that. But then what happened was I left the job in 2016 to to do another thing within the company. Um, and they won it in 2018. <clears throat> and I said to uh, my successor, I, I was still around. I was still working in the office. I, I had an office there. Uh, I said, listen, uh, you won't mind if I sort of step in this week and, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> so you did. and design your front page and uh, edit the, uh, the supplement. And I did, you know. And uh, yeah, so... That I, I felt that what was was getting to the All Ireland final in two thousand and seven and the subsequent triumphs. I mean, was that good for sales? Oh my God, it was amazing for sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I it was, um, yeah. We, I, I remember it was, it was the highest um, selling paper that we had in my time, and I, I remember the figure was twenty seven thousand six hundred. Um, you know, so right. Um, and just on that thing, I mean, you came back in 2007, as you say, uh, a booming economy, lots of advertising, strong sales, not too many clouds on the horizon. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, yeah. What could possibly go wrong when you had a when you had a property section every week with 72 pages every week in the Limerick Leader? 72, 72 pages. 72 pages. Now, these would be compact or tabloid. Tabloid they? pages. Yeah, Same. yeah. You 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 had local auctioneers taking 10 pages a week, right? I Were mean, they paying for it? Oh, and pay, I'm paying for it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paying, paying handsomely for it, which was why, uh, which was why um, Johnston Press bought bought the paper in the first place for stratospheric money. But uh, of course, you know, we know what happened in 2008, and um, you know, it it became uh, it, you know, they they had paid so much money to buy the Limerick Leader that 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 the company ultimately was dead in the water from, from the from the time it did that deal. Yeah, take us through some of that because it wasn't just the Limerick Leader they bought. There were other papers. I mean, there was a kind of a an accumulation of titles right around the country. I mean, there was a John Taylor involvement, wasn't there? The, the no, unionist <clears throat> politician. Yeah, he was, he was on the scene, but they didn't buy any of his papers. <clears throat> they put together um, a, a stable of... of, of, of it was ten. They were based, and there were there were a few extra papers. Like the Limit Leader had five editions, um, but in terms of actual offices and and bases, there were ten. You know, so they were Leitrim, Longford, Kilkenny, uh, Port Leash, Nace, Donegal, um, and and um, for that for those um, ten uh, newspapers, they spent two hundred and I think in around two hundred and fifty million. And um, that when, was in the mid noughties or thereabouts. It was, yeah, yeah. It was, it, it was two thousand and five, two thousand and six. Yeah. Uh, so two hundred and fifty million, and then that literally went off the cliff down to what by what two thousand and fourteen. In two thousand and fourteen, Malcolm Denmark <clears throat> um, set up a, a company called Iconic Newspapers, and Johnson Press were in an awful lot of financial trouble. Um, they were a client of his. He had a business in London. He said, "I'll take him off your hands." 
And um, so for those papers that they paid 250 million, he offered them 7 million and they, uh, they took it. That is some fall. That is some turnaround. I mean, there must be people, I mean, including, for instance, I think the late Eugene McGee might have sold the Longford yeah, leader. Yeah, he, he did. He them. sold the Longford leader. Yeah, yeah. And look, there were a lot of people who got out and and, and, uh, and made a lot of money. And, and there were some who didn't, you know, some for all the right reasons. In some cases, they, they didn't want us to sell up. They, they liked so, the fact that they had newspapers that they were at the centre of their communities. Yeah, so what extent then, or to what extent, um, Alan, can we say that the regional newspapers, they are in any way representative of, of their localities, given that there's this external ownership, it's effectively a kind of a, a, a conglomerate or almost a, a franchise. I'm not sure I'm using the right language there. Uh, I think that's it's a phenomenon. Uh, is, is not so much evident these days. I mean, it is true that... Um, it is true that iconic newspapers, I think, now owns coming up to twenty-five papers in uh, around the country, including in Northern Ireland now. Um, <clears throat> look, I, I, I wouldn't worry. I don't, I, I don't see that. They're, they're, they are, you know, overwhelmingly staffed by local people. Um, you know, that, I that, that's question, not the that's not the issue really. The, the the question would be though, how well staffed and you know how how secure are the careers of those individuals? Because I think you know around the time I probably left school a little earlier than you did, but you know there was a time you could say journalism, be it regional or moving on to national journalism, was comparable career wise to maybe teaching, the civil service, the bank, that kind of thing. Fairly secure once mm. you got into it. Not anymore. No, not anymore. And um, look, I there, there was in my time as Limerick leader editor, there were, you know, several several really really talented journalists who you know might have been in their thirties um, or early forties, um, um, looking looking down the line and saying, you know, is uh, is this going to see me out? And and um, coming to the conclusion that it wouldn't. And um, you know, taking jobs in PR, um, which I found you know, intensely um, disappointing um, for the sake of journalism, really, because mm. these are really, really talented people who who, who I think reluctantly left um, um, for, for, for good reasons. They had families to support and, and, and they had to think of their families first, of course. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it, it's uh, there, there's still a lot of lot of really, really talented local newspaper journalists fighting the good fight and, um, you know, bringing really excellent local coverage to their readers every week, but they are being bought by, uh, it's fair to say, a, a, you know, a dwindling number of, of people. And I do have a lot of concerns um, about uh, local communities and how they will be served um, because you have, you know, you, you, you just don't have the business model that will allow you to, to send reporters to the kind of um, markings, as they say, the court in Athenry and the court exactly, in yeah, yeah. Derry yeah, yeah. They're still being covered, but Ballad to a Road. lesser extent. Mm. I used to, I used to get, uh, I used to stress about if we missed, you know, if there was Newcastle West Court on a Tuesday and 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 our reporter was was um, you know was on holiday or something, you know, well, we've got it. We have, we can't miss that court. Mm -hmm. How are we going to move things around? Um, but you know, in the bigger counties, there are so many, so many. It's just not possible to cover them. And 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 the big question really is now: the vast majority of people getting their news on their mobile phones, they're just not. Um, you know, they're just not going to. Uh, they're just not going to pay for for that coverage. You know, so it's a problem.
People talk about highlights and you alluded there to the 1973 All-Ireland. Um, I have particular reason to be grateful to you uh, when you were editor of the Limerick Leader and I was presenting the news at one. It concerned uh, an interview with um, <laughs> the then Minister for Defence, Willie O'Dea. That's uh, right. It, 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 it effectively led to his um, downfall. Yeah, it did. Um, what, what happened was um, one of our reporters, Mike Dwan, um, was was you know doing you know the kind of thing that maybe doesn't happen so much now, going along to a a, a pre local election gathering uh, for Fianna Fáil, seeing what he could pick up. Um, <clears throat> goes over, chats to Willie. Willie Willie says something uh, about a political rival. And uh, it becomes uh, it becomes a story, and Willie got the wrong end of of, of the stick, and um, and we brought it to look. There was a legal saga going on. He was being sued by Morris Quinlevin. Um, he was denying that he had said what he had said. Um, we had a tape which said that actually he did say it. Um, we we uh, we brought it to his attention, and um, then there was this absolute clamour. Um, you know what's on the tape, you know, and, and and there was all these people coming out of the woodwork. Local politicians sort of phoned me up saying, "I understand that on that tape, Willie O'Dea uh, politically assassinates me. I, I demand the tape." <clears throat> and then there was other, there was all this rumours going around that Willie O'Dea was leaning on me to destroy the tape. Um, so then, like, it, there was more rumours about what was on the tape uh, um, than, than, than it was. It was crazy. So I said, we, we, "We'll have to, we we will have to release this tape." So um, you, you ended up being the beneficiary of that. Yes, show. I think my I have a, a feeling of eternal gratitude to my then <laughs> program editor Barbara Fitzgerald for getting to you first. And I think you were interviewed by Pat Kenny and he said <laughs> earlier in the day that he'd be happy to play the tape. And you said to him, oh, look, it's going on the news at one, whereupon I apparently leaped out of my chair <laughs> and went around. Yeah, well, you know, I, I had given... The newsroom. I'd given Barbara my, my word, so uh, that was that, you know. Yeah. Just to throw it back, these days, of course, we wouldn't have given it to you. We would have put it out on, on the Limerick Leader website, you know. Uh, absolutely, and yeah, that yeah. would be the place for it. And we yeah, would yeah. all have been able to replay it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just as we're coming to the end, as though you didn't have enough to keep you busy um, Alan uh, with your jobs as editor uh, or the various ones you did um, you took on a few I won't call them nixers they were much more than that you 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 cooperated with two I suppose you know mega stars of Irish rugby in the in the uh, writing of their autobiographies Paul O'Connell and Brian O'Driscoll yeah again um i go back to to uh, to to sort of fluky circumstances you re- you referred briefly to a period where i i uh, i i i left the sunday times and i i rejoined it but there was a period of about 18 months where i was kind of freelancing and had a bit of a loose end so i said i'd i'd write a book uh, and you know um, I wanted to write a sports book, and I thought I'd write about you know one of the most famous things that happened in 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 Limerick sporting folklore when Munster beat the All Blacks in in um, in 1978. So I wrote a book called Stand Up and Fight, um, which became successful. And then the following year, Munster won the Heineken Cup, uh, and because I the first book had been a success. Um, I ended up writing that and then Ireland won the Grand Slam and I ended up doing that and I'd gone from somebody who, who never wrote about rugby who, who barely covered a rugby match in his life to having three sort of best-selling books and then 
these other books came along. Um, firstly, the O'Connell one, and then the well, although it was published after the O'Driscoll book. Um, so yeah, so look, it it it. it uh, How did you find working with those guys? Um, uh, I, I, well, there were different processes. The, the, the Paul O'Connell one was much slower because he decided to do the book. He, he, he was thinking that maybe that injury was going to bring his career to a premature end. So he wanted to get out ahead of it. So we ended up having several years, um, having chats, um, and, and I got to know him very well and his family. Um, and so, you know, that was a sort of a slow paced, um, and and a slow paced process, whereas the 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 Brian O'Driscoll one was was the absolute opposite. Um, Paul Kimmage, as as people might remember, had been uh, had been his ghostwriter um, um, for two years, and then they, there was a falling out, and uh, Paul resigned. And um, because um, Brian O'Driscoll's book was also being published by Penguin Ireland. They asked me would I do that one as mm-hmm. well, and I I agreed to do it. Um, I probably shouldn't have, because my job at the Limerick Leader was was all consuming, and I ended up for about six months. I I just I was like working eighteen hours a day because I didn't really want anybody thinking that I was taking my eye off the ball and my day job. Um, but anyway, look, that's that's what happened, you know. Yeah. How, how did it think? How did things work out between yourself and Paul Kimmage? I mean, he still works for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. look, I, I I had been a, a, a friend of Paul Kimmage for 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 many years before that, you know. So there was no issue issue there. Okay. Well, look. On that note, uh, I want to say thank you very very much indeed, Alan English, editor of the uh, Sunday Independent. Thank you so much indeed for joining us on the Insights Podcast. Thanks very much, Sean. Very 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 glad to do it. To hear more in this series, go to rte.ie forward slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.